0: Luke chapter 23, and we want to give you seven words from the cross. Jesus speaks from the cross, and as he speaks from the cross, he speaks seven words. But I want to read a passage of Scripture in Luke 23, and it's beginning with verse 32. And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary. There they crucified Him. And the male factors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. That's what we preached last Sunday, was that 33rd verse. But let's go on and read. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is the first word He spoke from on the cross. We'll give you an order of these words. There are seven of them as we progress along. We won't have it in this context, but we will refer to them. Uh, in the other Gospels as we give you uh, more information. So verse 34, Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him Vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, "Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the mist, and when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. We read that of three of these words from the cross in this very chapter. And we will give you reference to others in the other Gospels in just a little bit. When we think of the words of the cross, the last words... Of Jesus that He spoke. We think of the fact that the last words of any dying man are especially important. But when we think of the last words of Jesus, we know that they would have more meaning than most of us, that when we die, we know that a lot of times when someone passes away or is about, or on their deathbed, They'll call the family and they'll say, please remember this or remember that, or or they'll remind them of something in life, or they'll give them their love, or whatever may be the words. We know that they're very precious. We think of a, a, a person's concern when they're in that stage of life. Usually it's for himself, thinking about how he feels in his suffering or pain or whatever may be the situation and then of others. But Jesus' thought was always with others. The last words of Jesus have a very special message to all of us. We've already mentioned that there are seven words in number. And you know in the Bible, this is a sacred and mystical number. Seven speaks of perfection. It speaks of completion. It speaks of uh, mystery. And it's a sacred number. And no evangelist, no one Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, records all of these words. But each one records some of them. Now then, Matthew and Mark only have one of the words of Jesus on the cross. And Luke has three. We just read those three. I don't know if you noticed them, but he said, Father, forgive them. And uh, he said, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And then the last word in the context that we just read, he says, Father, into thy hands I come in my spirit, which was the last word from the cross. But there are others so that Luke has three of them and uh, John has three. And Matthew and Mark both quote the same one, which is one of them right in the middle, by the way. Let me give you the order of these words. First, you have Father, forgive them. That's Luke twenty-three thirty-four. Some of you may want to jot, jot these down or just mark them in your Bible. And then we gave you also Luke twenty-three forty-three, where He said, "Today shalt thou be with me in paradise." And we won't turn at the present, but if you turn to John nineteen, you don't have to turn there right now. But He says, uh, John nineteen verse twenty-six and twenty-seven. He says, "Woman, behold thy son." Then He says, "Behold thy mother." That's the third word. And then we said Matthew and Mark both quote the fourth word from the cross. And it's my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And that has to do with Matthew twenty-seven forty-six and Mark 15, verse 34. And then you come back to John again. The fifth word, he says, I thirst. That's John 19, verse 28. I thirst. And then... John nineteen verse thirty, he says, "It is finished." And then in Luke twenty three forty six, we just read it. He says, "Father into thy hands I commend my spirit." That's the seventh word from the cross. Now, then Jesus was on the cross six hours before death. He hung on the cross from nine o'clock in the morning to three in the afternoon when he died, and there were three hours of daylight. These. These six hours are divided into two periods, three hours of daylight and three hours of darkness, three hours of daylight from nine in the morning to 12 noon, three hours of darkness from 12 noon to 3 p.m., three in the afternoon. And the proof of that is in Mark's gospel. Let me read for you in Mark's gospel. Mark chapter 15 and verse 24 says, and when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, saying, uh, "Casting lots, rather, upon them what every man should take, and it was the third hour, and they crucified him." So that verse 25, Mark 15, verse 25, says, "It was the third hour, and they crucified him." Now drop down to verse 33, it says, "And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour." Now the third hour of the day is nine o'clock of the morning, and the sixth hour is noon, and in the in Jewish time, and the ninth hour would be three in the afternoon. So it, these two verses give you the key. It says in Mark fifteen verse twenty five, and it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And verse thirty three says, and when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So. From the third hour till the sixth hour, which was nine o'clock in the morning till noon, it was daylight. But then there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. When this sixth hour was come, the darkness fell upon the whole land. In verse 34 it says, And at the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabbatani, which which is being interpreted, my God, My God, why hast thou forsaken me? This is the word that both Matthew and Mark give us. But the reason I referred to Mark's gospel is is that he's the one that shows us this division of daylight and darkness. Three hours of daylight and three hours of darkness. Now then, let me give you something else. The first of these three sayings or words of the cross were uttered in the daylight and the last four were uttered in the darkness. So when you think of of uh, the fact that the last four were uttered in darkness, they're dominated with the idea of atonement. When you think of darkness over the whole land, you have the thought of atonement, where Jesus was dying for our sins and God sent the darkness over the whole land. You know, all of these, all of these seven words from the cross have their source in the Old Testament. They're all spoken of in the Old Testament. And I won't give you that right now because uh, as we progress along, this maybe I can give it to you as we speak on each one of these words from the cross and see how that they are rooted in the Old Testament, that you find the evidence of them in the Old Testament. If anyone would like a list of those references after it's over, I can give them to you. We could divide these seven words, seven words from the cross, into three parts we said, first of all, that there's daylight and darkness. But now three parts. We find that the first three are characterized by one thought, and that is thoughtfulness. The first three words that Jesus spoke from hanging on the cross was His thoughtfulness for other people. You know, usually a person, when something of this nature would be happening in facing death, they'd be thinking about themselves. But His was thoughtfulness for others. And the fourth and the fifth word from the cross, here's the second one, would be classified as travail. Travail. He said, My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? Then He said, I thirst. So we'll get into those words and the meaning of them and take each one of them separate as we progress along. And then the sixth and seventh word, when He said, It is finished, and said, Father, into Thy hands I commend My Spirit. These are words of triumph. So you have these three divisions, thoughtfulness and travail and triumph. Thoughtfulness for others before he felt his own travail. Then travail and then triumph. And that's the division. The first three words characterized by thoughtfulness, we see three parties that are involved. The first party is his cruel enemies. And what did he say about his cruel enemies? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So with the first group that we talk about, these three different parties of his cruel enemies, he says he offers prayer. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then the second one was the repentant thief. Remember, as he hung on the cross, he grants pardon. He says, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And the third group, the faithful followers, you find this in John's gospel, and you'll find that he makes provision for his mother at the hand of John. So you have three groups around that he speaks to: his cruel enemies, the repentant thief, and then the faithful followers. For the first one, he offers, uh, he uh, prays for them. He offers prayer for everyone, and then for the second one, this in view, the repentant thief, he grants pardon. And then for the third group, especially his mother and John, he makes provision. In the first one, he's seen as intercessor. In the second, he's seen as rewarder. In the third, as sympathizer. And as we look at briefly each and every one of these words of Jesus from the cross, we want to take them one by one and delve into them and see how much is involved in each and every one of them. And if you want to Take these down as we refer to them. I'll give you the reference each time. The first thing he said is in Luke twenty-three thirty-four. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If you have Luke 23, you'll see that in verse 34. So what is there in this word of forgiveness? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What is meant by them? I'm sure that Jesus meant the Jews, the scribes, the Pharisees, the chief priests, you know, in 1 Corinthians 2.8 says, Had they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. He speaks of his own first. I'm sure that they are the ones that were guilty. Father, forgive them, he said. And also the Romans and their leaders, even Herod and Pilate, the Roman soldiers, the executioners. And I wonder how far this word, Father, forgive them, extends. Even the Gentiles... The multitude had cried out for his blood, and then put it this way, all of mankind so steeped in sin and in need of forgiveness. If any person here does not need forgiveness, he would be an exception to the rule, wouldn't he? All need forgiveness, and Jesus provided that. The greatest need of all humanity. We've all been alienated from God. We're sinners by nature and by choice. And so when he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, we don't Question, who all could be included in that prayer? Have you ever gone to someone else that maybe something has happened that you need to say, please forgive me? And on a human level, that's a great uh, blessing when you find that the person says, well, sure, I accept your apology. I accept your certainly there's nothing to hold against you. But Jesus said, "Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and through christ's death, the Bible says that we have forgiveness. Think of this: Ephesians one seven says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. He' has forgiven us. Colossians one verse fourteen says, In whom we have redemption, through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Paul expresses it a little different in both of those Two verses, Ephesians one seven and Colossians one verse fourteen. We have forgiveness. The Bible says without the shedding blood there is no remission, there's no forgiveness. And so our forgiveness is through what Jesus was suffering then and there on the cross and dying for our sins as a sacrifice to God to redeem us by his blood and by his life, by his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. When you think of forgiveness. What a wonderful blessing and boon this is to every one of us. We see that by that word of forgiveness that Jesus is identified with his people. We see in that word of forgiveness a divine estimate of sin. Sin needs to be forgiven. We see Jesus doing what he taught others to do. He said that we should forgive one another, didn't he? And he does what he taught us to do. We see... Man's great primary need, what it means to forgive, the blessed effect of prayer and inward feeling of forgiveness. It not only blesses you when you forgive, but it blesses others. Blessing to yourself and to others. We used to sing a song, it's called The Evening Prayer. Some of you may know it. It says, if I have wounded any soul today, if I have caused someone to go astray, if I have walked in my own willful way, dear Lord, forgive Dear Lord, forgive. And you know, we need to pray that evening prayer. If Jesus could be forgiving, how much more should you and I forgive one another? The Bible says, forgiving one another, forbearing and forgiving one another. The second word of the cross you find to the repentant thief, it's also in Luke 23, and it's verse 43, where Jesus said, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Remember this repentant sinner. On the cross, there were two thieves, one on either side of Jesus. The Bible says there were also two other male factors led with him to be put to death. Luke 23:32. When it says two other, you're saying here's one and here's another. And Jesus in the midst. Two other. You, that includes Jesus. Because he became a, a, one lined up with them for our sakes as a criminal. The two thieves represent all of us. Did you know these two thieves are representative of all of mankind? Here you have one repentant and the other not. That's the way mankind is, isn't it? One man repents and another doesn't. So you have a representative here of mankind that is sinner. And this one that repented, remember they both, they railing on him, it says in verse 39, they railed on him, but the other answering, Rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God? Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? This repentant one did fear God. He recognized Jesus as the sinless one, and he said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And for him, Jesus grants his pardon and promises him that immediately after death he would be with him in paradise today shalt thou be with me in paradise verily I say unto thee there's a good word wasn't it a word of pardon you know the repentant thief proves a lot of things to us it proves that good works have no part in the merits of our salvation it doesn't merit salvation good works are expected of God's people but he couldn't do anything to merit his salvation by his works and then it proves something else, that salvation can be instantaneous and is instantaneous, that he instantly receives salvation. And it proves that the Lord loves lost sinners. Had not he loved this repentant thief, he wouldn't have saved him at that particular time. And then He proves something else, that fourthly, that when a Christian dies, when a repentant sinner who becomes a Christian, a child of God, when he dies, he goes to be with the Lord. Because Jesus said, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Did you know the last act of Jesus was to save a sinner? This is the thing that He actually did. Well, there are other things that are tied in with the words that He spoke, but the actual act of saving a sinner. The first of the redeemed family on the cross was this repentant thief. So we find that the Bible teaches that He actually Granted, pardoned to this one that repented of his sin. Now, the third word that we find is in John chapter 19. I was going to give you on those two words the Old Testament before we turn. If you want to turn to John 19, that's fine. But let me give you what these two words that we just covered. Their source in the Old Testament. We said that all of them had their source in the Old Testament. And let me just repeat what I've has just said concerning both of these words. Remember, the first word from the cross was this. and what, uh, It said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And that's taken from Isaiah 53, verse 12, where he made intercession for the transgressors. Isaiah 53, verse 12 says he made intercession for the transgressors. And this one about the uh, uh, repentant thief that we just studied, in Isaiah 53, verse 10 and 11, It says, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days. This was the seed or the salvation of one that Jesus uh, just forgave of his sin. And then the next one that we come to is John 19. We said the third word from the cross. And you come to John 19, verse 26 and 27. It says, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, He saith unto unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. This is the third word he speaks from the cross. Then saith he to his disciple, Behold thy mother. And And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. And this takes into consideration the book of Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12, where the scripture says, Honor thy father and thy mother. And so we see Jesus in this third word speaking to his mother, third word from the cross. He's making provision for her. And in so doing, he's honoring the word of God, which says, honor thy father and thy mother. The source of this word is from the Old Testament because he's absolutely doing that. You know, we're taught to honor father and mother. In fact, the Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians, for children to obey their parents Honor their father and mother. It says, For this is the first commandment with promise. The other commandments do not have promise, but this is the commandment with promise. And it says that you go back and read it. It says that thy days may be long upon the earth, which the Lord thy God giveth thee. So God places a great deal of uh, emphasis upon the fact that we should honor fathers and mothers. And in so doing, Jesus was doing that. And he also promised in making this provision that he would care for us and to be the provider of our needs. He would be provider for us. Remember back at one time they says, Who is your father? And uh, he says, Your they said, Your mother's is without wanted to speak to you. And your brethren. And he says, Who is my brethren? Who is my mother and my brethren? He said, Those that believe on him. And he referred to his disciples. Those that were his own. He says, they are important to me too. And back in the gospels you'll find that story. So we find that He makes provision for our physical needs. He makes provision for our salvation, first of all. Had He not died and shed His blood on the cross, we would not be provided with a plan and opportunity of salvation. And then He makes provision for our physical needs day by day, and also our spiritual needs. Our salvation, our physical needs, and our spiritual needs. Now, the fourth cry from the cross, we said there's two places, and we gave you uh, those two places in Mark and in Matthew's Gospel, chapter twenty-seven, verse forty-six, it says here in Matthew. We read in Mark's Gospel, but Matthew twenty-seven forty-six, the fourth word from the cross, it says this: About the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, "Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani?" That is to say, "My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me?" This word finds its source in Psalm twenty-two, verse one. In fact, it's verbatim. Quoted where it says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And when you look at this fourth word from the cross, you're seeing that Jesus is crying out in travail. It finds its source in Psalm 22. Sometimes we, finding its source, sometimes we feel our need to cry out and we feel forsaken. And that's a great mental anguish that would come to us. Finding its source in Psalm 22, verse 1, shows the fact that it could apply to all of us. And yet we find that Jesus cried out, My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? In this word, we see a sense of Christ's mental anguish. Mental anguish. That's the way He was feeling. To feel forsaken. To ask the puzzling question, Why? My My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? If you turn back in the book of Psalms, let me read it for you. In Psalm 40. To the psalmist is crying out time and time again with the word why. In verse 5, he says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And he says, And why art thou disquieted in me? Same psalm, down verse 9, he says, Why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As, As with a sword in my bones mine enemies reproach me while they say daily unto me, Where is thy God? You know, someone could have asked Jesus at that time, Where is thy God? Do you claim to be the Son of God? And then it says in verse 11, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou quietened within me? So the psalmist came to the place that time and time again he asked the critical question of why. Do you ever come to the place that you question God? Do you ever come to the place that you feel forsaken? I'm sure all of us inwardly and emotionally have felt experiences in our minds that we wonder if God is still there. We say, well, where's God in all of this? When we see uh, people with uh, fatal diseases, when we see uh, things that we've experienced in life as to why things ought to be like they are, or they are like they are, when we think of situations in the world, and our mind just has to do with, well, why does all this have to happen? And where is thy God? Well, God is there. And sometimes we bring a lot of sufferings on ourselves, and sometimes something that we can't have can, cannot help, but we have to deal with it. But in the middle of that anguish, it's mental anguish. Jesus, Jesus really was suffering for the sins of the world. We suffered due to our own sins, but he was suffering a judgment of the sins of the whole world, the penalty of our sins. If you had to pay for something you've done, that's just your, your personal a uh, penalty that you have to pay. But when Jesus suffered, he paid for the penalty of all of us. The Bible says that he died for our sins according to the scriptures. The Bible teaches that he bore our judgment. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree. In John chapter 5 verse 24 says verily verily I say unto you he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into judgment. Shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. And because Jesus bore your judgment in mine, therefore we do not have to bear it. So that is the word from the cross of travail when he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The reason Jesus could feel that way and did feel that way was because he took upon himself all of our sins, if you borne the burden for someone around you in some form or fashion, you just say, I'm burdened about my uh, mother or my father or my child or my someone of your family or friend because of their sickness and because of what they're going through. And you feel a heavy sense of sympathy and burden with that. That's on a very small scale to what Jesus did. Because He felt the burden of all the sins, of all the world, of all of mankind. And He bore that upon Himself. You know how hard it is for you to bear a small load, but Jesus bore the great load. Now then, the fifth word from the cross you'll find in John also, chapter 19. And if you look at verse 28, it says, And after this Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. I thirst. I thirst. This is another word of travail. When we think of the word, I thirst, what is it a word? But a word of suffering. Here we see the fact that he physically thirsted. We know that he thirsted for more than one thing. In fact, that psalm we gave you, Psalm 42, verse 1 and 2 says, As an heart panteth after the water brooks, So panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. He just said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Then he says, I thirst. We know that he had been without food and drink for a long period of time. We know that he did thirst. But we know also that he thirsted for more than we may have uh, realized, more than physical. I wonder if he did not thirst for the love of those people round about him that he was dying for. I wonder if he did not thirst for prayer. And in our case for for our lives, for our service, for people to be faithful, I thirst. This also finds its source in the old testament. In Psalm chapter sixty nine and verse twenty one. Let me read it for you. Psalm sixty nine and verse twenty one it says this. They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. And that's exactly what they did. When when it says in John 19.28, when He said, I thirst, now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to His mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, He said, it is finished. So, in His thirst they gave Him vinegar to drink. And it was... Uh, spoken of in the Old Testament, it had its source there. He thirsted physically, this revealed his true humanity. It so shows his association with you and I. We said he thirsted for the living God, and you know the greatest thirst he had was for man 's redemption because that's why he was dying on the cross, to take a redeemed family where they would never hunger or thirst anymore. The Bible teaches that he Gave the hungry food, and he gave the thirsty to drink. But yet he was in that situation. The sixth word from the cross you find in John 19, verse 30. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. He said, It is finished. This is another uh, cry of triumph. The other was travail. This is a cry of triumph. What was finished? The work of the cross that was so completely and beautifully finished. What was this work? The sufferings of Jesus were forever over. It was a finished work. The work He came to do was finished. Man's redemption was now completely finished. Salvation could now be offered to whoever would receive Jesus as a repentant believing sinner. The plan and purpose of God from all eternity for the sacrifice of His Son was now complete. The Bible says He was the Lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. And you read in First Peter chapter 1, I believe it's verse 18, it says, For as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. But listen, But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a Lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but when it was manifest." In these last time for you, who by Him to believe in God, that raised Him up from the dead and gave Him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. He was the Lamb that was provided before the foundation of the world. The plan and purpose of God throughout all eternity. The sacrifice was completely made. And that was a triumphant word. It is finished. You find in the Old Testament it has to do with one word. It is finished. In Psalm 22, verse 31 It's declared that He hath done this, or accomplished this, or finished this. Psalm 22, verse 31, you'll find the source of this word from the cross. It'll be declared to future generations, a generation that shall not be born, that He hath done this, that He's completed this, that He's finished this. So we find that the next word and the last word is also in Luke's Gospel, chapter 23. We read it to start with. In verse 46, And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, He said, Father, into thy hands I come in my spirit. And having said thus, He gave up the ghost. This is a word of triumph. It may not seem to be. But he says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. You'll find in Psalm 31, verse 5, a reference to this. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Commit my spirit. And so here you find its source in the Old Testament as well. The important thing that we want to see is that in the middle of all these seven words, he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But in the middle, I want you to notice, that was when He was bearing our sins. But the first word He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And the last word was Father. He comes back. It looks like faith has triumphed over death. He said, it is finished. It's accomplished. So he starts. the first word starts with Father and the last word with Father. And He says, Father, into Thy hands I commend My Spirit. The work was done. The first and last word. Here was a word of joyful resignation. Here was a word of yielding up himself in death to the Father. It expresses Christ's satisfaction in relation to not only what he's done, but in relation to the future. I'm satisfied that it's complete. It shows us not only how to live, but how to die. We not only live our life and say, Father, forgive them, and go through life in the sense that we would have him before us in prayer, but then at the end we can say, Father, forgive. Into thy hands I yield my spirit. If anyone ever taught us how to live, it's Jesus. And how to die, it's Jesus. And he, li- he died as he lived. He lived for others. And he, when he was dying on the cross, his thoughtfulness was for others. In fact, to the point that he mm-hmm. said, it is finished. It's accomplished. And everything for man's salvation is done. And so Jesus paid it all. You know, we sing a song, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left the crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. When you think of these seven words, you think of a word, first of all, of forgiveness, a word of salvation. And then you think of a word of affection, the word of anguish, a word of suffering, and a word of victory, and a word of contentment. And all of these are in the seven words on the cross of Calvary that Jesus gave. But you know there's one person we don't want to overlook, and that's the mother. We come back to Jesus' mother that stood by the cross. And when He said, Woman, behold thy son. And then He says, Behold thy mother. We think of the, the fact that the Bible said that a sword told her at the birth of Christ, early in the life of Jesus, that a sword shall pierce thine own soul also, that the hearts of many may be revealed. And I want to close with this thought about uh, how that she felt. It says, Beside the cross in tears, the woeful mother stood beneath the weight of years and viewed his flowing blood. Her mind with grief was torn. Her strength was ebbing fast. And through her heart forlorn, the sword of anguish passed. You know how a mother feels at the pain of any child. And any discomfort that comes, think of what Mary must have felt as she watched her son die on the cross. Of all the hopes and aspirations she had for Him, and yet He had already told her that He would die on the cross of Calvary. You know, at the age of 33, it's not time to die, is it? It's not time to die. But Jesus was born so that He could die as a young man, or in the fullness of his manhood. And to do it in such a way is to claim the victory for you and I and say, it is finished. And it was done in order that we might be saved. And I'm going to ask that if there's anyone here this morning that's never accepted Jesus as their Savior, that you feel led to trust Him in your heart.